Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Student Sums It Up. My name is Sam, and every week I sit down with our writers to bring you the lowdown on Amherst's latest news. Today, February 9th, we'll talk about the Instagram account at Amherst Share Your Story, some updates on the presidential search process, and some spring housing conundrums. So first up, I'm sitting down with Sofia Rodrigo, who is a sophomore news writer. Hi, Sofia. Hi, good to be here. Um, So this week you wrote an article about the conversations surrounding sexual misconduct that were happening within our community throughout winter break and J-term. And a big component of this, which I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of, is the Instagram account, Amherst Share Your Story. So if you had to summarize what your article is about, what would you say? Yeah, I definitely centered on the Instagram account at Amherst Share Your Story. That's sort of where the article began. I reached out to them, spoke with them, um, and then it transitioned into an email that was sent out while I was working on the article from the president's office, from Biddy. And so that was included as well, just kind of focusing on that. And then also the response that Amherst Share Your Story posted about Biddy's email as well. I know that one of your sources was the owner or owners of the Amherst Share Your Story account, um, and obviously they're remaining anonymous. What did you learn from your conversation with them about the purposes of that account and what they feel like they're doing for the community? They remain anonymous, which I completely understand. That makes sense. I had a written interview with them, and I asked them what were their intentions behind creating the account, and they revealed and like shared with us that it was because they themselves are survivors of sexual misconduct in the Amherst community. And so they themselves have been through the process and have seen how the college has has failed in some areas and helped in some areas. And they wanted to, you know, have a place for other survivors as well to be able to talk about their experiences safely. And obviously it sounds, I'm sure we can agree that it's like a very it's a very good account. I'm really happy that it exists, but not everyone is. In your conversation with them, did you address any of the criticisms of their account? Yeah, yeah. I asked them what they've received from the community, whether positive or negative backlash. And they def- they've definitely received both. Yes, a lot of positivity, which is really good to hear. There have been some negative criticisms, but they made a post kind of reminding everybody that this is a space to believe survivors and not to doubt their integrity. So they have been regulating that dialogue, facilitating the conversation so that it's not negative, which I think is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I do understand that that must be difficult, though, as a space for survivors to have to deal with that negative criticism, but I think they've handled it well. And I'm sure they probably have criticisms of their own concerning student culture on campus around what constitutes an appropriate sexual interaction. They probably have criticisms of the administration, how they handle sexual misconduct cases. Did any of those come up in your conversation? I don't really think that the conversation was focused on the ways that the administration has failed specifically with like specific cases and instances of sexual misconduct. It was more so just like the response mm-hmm. to that and the la- sort of lack of support for survivors. That was more so what we focused on the conversation. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, what are some of the specific, I guess, holes they see in Amherst's support system for survivors? 
Yeah, they mentioned wanting more help from like the counseling center. We, the community has seen a lot of posts, you know, mentioning how the counseling center has not been super helpful in some instances. They did not really reveal with me their specifics of what they want from the administration. They kept reiterating that they will be demanding justice soon. Um, they didn't really share specifics of that with me, which I understand if they're not at that stage yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. And while you were working on this story, obviously Betty sent out an email that was partially motivated as a response to that account, though she did not mention the account by name in the email. What did you, who did you talk to about that email, if at all, if anyone? Yeah, I spoke to students. There were students who I did interviews with, and then I heard a lot of just talk from the community in general about general feelings that the the email was a bit disappointing because A, they did not mention the account by name and a lot of sentiments that it should have been recognized. Secondly, the email was sent out, I think, like a month or two after the account began and that there were a lot of feelings from students that it should have been sent out earlier um, in response to the account. And thirdly, I think a lot of students felt that the email didn't really address anything. I think that Biddy's email, if I recall correctly, was talking about a new comprehensive review led by people who came in 2012 to sort of do a similar thing. So a lot of students spoke with me about questioning why that was the response again, if that didn't seem to make any changes in 2012 when it was happening then too. So overall, the students that you talk to, do you think that they feel that the catalyst for change lies with the administration or do they feel that change has to happen more primarily in student culture, or is it some mix of both? I would definitely say that a mix of both is sort of the response that I was getting from students. I think that a lot of them kind of wish that they had more hope that the administration could be sort of the leader for that. But I think that a lot of them feel that it is going to end up being students needing to sort of change the culture and be aware and everything. Are there any challenges that you faced during your source collection that you felt like just the time that you spent interviewing people researching was there any part of the story that was particularly hard to learn about or write about I you know outside of like interviewing people I heard a lot of just you know the conversation about the account and Mm -hmm. people seemed to have a lot of opinions but when it came down to actually interview them it was a little bit difficult I think because some people didn't want to say anything unintentionally ignorant or just yeah. kind of tiptoeing around the around it a little bit, um, which I can understand it can, can be difficult to articulate exactly what you're trying to say when it comes to these kind of harder conversations. So that was a struggle sometimes, trying to find sources who were willing to talk and who felt like they were confident in what they were mm-hmm. saying and, you know, spreading it with the community. I would say that, yeah, that was probably my biggest challenge, honestly. And then finally, what do you feel are the biggest takeaways about sexual misconduct in, within the Amherst community that you learned through this writing process? I think that a big theme that I picked up on while I was writing it was how important awareness is, but not alone. I think that I picked up on that awareness is essential with action. You, It's kind of, it's, not possible to deal with the issue of sexual misconduct at Amherst with just awareness. There also needs to be action, both preventative measures and responsive measures after the fact Mm -hmm. and how that's lacking in the community. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me, Sophia. Absolutely. Happy to be here.
So now I'm sitting down with managing news editor Tana Delalio to talk about the article that she wrote for this week on some of the confusions and logistical mistakes that arose during spring housing assignments and spring move-in. Hi, Tana. Hi. Um. So yeah, could you just give us some background on the different types of errors that happened and student experiences? Yeah, so... On January 18th, Housing Operations sent an email to students at 11.34 p.m. notifying them that they had until 10 a.m. the following day to find individuals to fill vacancies in their rooms or the Office of Student Affairs Operations team um, would assign them random new roommates. So the email is just one of the ex- example of the difficulties students reported experiencing while trying to secure housing for the spring semester. And it left them feeling really blindsided and frustrated by the administration's lack of response about their complications, and many are still left into the dark as they move back to campus in the past few days. What was a specific difficulty that one of the students you talked to experienced? So Pavan Nagaraj secured housing for J-Term to be on campus to compete with the squash team, but they granted him, like many other J-Term students, temporary housing because he wasn't on campus in the fall. And then when he finally was given a permanent residence, he walked into the room and discovered that it was an utter mess. He said there were broken alcohol bottles everywhere, a bunch of food wrappers everywhere, and the student who departed the room didn't clean it at all. And it was just completely destroyed for all intents and purposes. And he felt it was you know, really shocking that housing operations didn't even look into the room. And he really wished that he could have had more transparency during the whole process so that he could be apprised of everything. Was that an isolated incident of that kind? Or were there other people who moved into their J-term or spring new rooms and found that they were improperly uh, set up? I've heard of some people moving into rooms where people were already living or had all of their stuff there. Um, so is that like a common occurrence or was it, did it just happen with that one not garage was the only student that the student interviewed who had that specific experience but there were a few other students who weren't made aware whether or not they would have a roommate so students with vacancies got that email on january 18th telling them that they might be assigned a random new roommate a lot of them responded asking for an extension on that decision didn't receive a message and still have no idea whether a roommate will be entering um, their rooms. And one girl, um, Danya Halleck, requested a new room, and she was told that this room would have a roommate. But when she walked in, she didn't hear anything, and the room had no personal belongings or sign that anyone was living there. So she hasn't been apprised of whether or not she will have a roommate or not. And It's just a very confusing and chaotic process for a lot of students. Yeah. And logistical housing issues have been a theme throughout uh, this past year, past two years, really, but especially last semester when the over-enrollment issue was so pressing and makeshift rooms were made and common rooms and freshmen were being put into triples and stuff like that. I was wondering, um, has the administration that you know of made any response to the recent errors in these logistical processes? Mm -hmm. 
So Dean of Students Liz Agosto actually issued a statement regarding the host of communication challenges that students experienced. She said that she takes full responsibility for the timing, communication, and housing challenges students experienced this January. She said there are a range of factors involved in the delays and errors, but they will not fall back on those as excuses. And she apologized for the strain the poor communication caused during this period of time and says that the administration is taking steps for improvement. And Senior Associate Dean of Students Dean Gendron, who chairs the OSA operations team in charge of housing, declined to comment, as did Director of Residential Life Andrea Kadima. Were housing issues like these a problem prior to COVID, or is this like a new development? Many of the students I talked to, particularly seniors, did note, although I didn't um, record those responses inside the article, that they've experienced issues dealing with res life and housing operations in the past. Mm -hmm. But I did write an article with another editor, Kaylin, um, about the sudden changes to the protocols for J-term housing and arrival. So I do know that issues had started even before students came back onto campus and they just sort of continuing and growing as um, students look to move in in the past few days. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, thank you, Tana. Thank you. Finally, I'm sitting down with staff news writer Ethan Foster um, to talk about the developments in the presidential search process that occurred over J-term and winter break. Hi, Ethan. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks. So, yeah, what has happened in the past month and a half that we need to know about concerning who's replacing Biddy? Yeah, sure. So on January 12th, the Presidential Search Committee released an update to the college community um, regarding the search for President Biddy's successor. And the update included a finalized position profile for potential candidates, and that's available on the Presidential Search website now. And it details the qualities that an Amherst College president needs to embody, uh, which range from personal warmth to administrative prowess. And it highlights the history and spirit of Amherst College and presents the challenges and opportunities that the next president is going to face. Do we have any names for who might be possible nominees yet or any suspicions floating around? So as far as I know, there aren't, there aren't any concrete names really that have been made. Um, Andrew Nussbaum, who is the head of the Board of Trustees and the head of the search committee, said that they're still vetting, um, vetting candidates and they're still taking nominations. Um, so really, it, it seems like the process hasn't moved on extremely far, um, yeah. but uh, at least they do have some concrete things that they're looking for down in print. Awesome. Um, and is the Presidential Search Committee the one that released this announcement? Are they all members of the Board of Trustees or are there faculty, other community members on that search committee? Yeah, sure. So it's made up of trustees. There are some professors on there as well. Awesome. And then there are two members of the student body. So there are, awesome. uh, yeah, there are two students present on it as well. Did you get a chance to talk to them at all about this? 
Yeah, so I was able to talk to one, Kate Redmond. She's the class of 2023. And yeah, I was able to get some thoughts from her. She emphasized that the, the profile that the Presidential Search Committee has came up with really came directly from the community. Um, it was a result of hundreds of emails and surveys and feedback that they received. And she said that, you know, while all the committee members have their own opinions on what they're looking for in a president, mm -hmm. um, they really tried to focus in on the feedback that they've received and base the qualifications that they're searching for around that feedback. Awesome. So it's very much like a representative democratic process, if we want to put it in like political terms. There's these there's this group of people and they're sort of trying to embody the demands of the community that they've been able to hear in the choices they're making. Did you talk to any students who aren't part of that search committee to hear their thoughts on how the process is going or maybe opinions on that profile? So I tried to. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get anyone to actually respond to me. So right now I'm just kind of going off, you know, what Kate said, um, what Andrew said. As far as I know, at least the general feeling that I've gotten is that people feel, you know, okay about it. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard right now to gauge where people are at because there aren't any specific names thrown out. And especially so. because a lot of the traits that they listed in that profile are very ambiguous and very up to interpretation and how they manifest in an actual candidate is going to depend a lot on the specific qualities of that candidate. Yeah, um, so it's very like, I feel like it's still very up in the air. We have a profile, but it's not detailed at all. Yeah, that's so exactly true. Um, yeah, some of the qualities they listed, I mean, it's things like administrative prowess, you know, personal warmth, dedication to, um, you know, engaging the community and to inclusion and diversity. And those are great things. But yeah, there's a there's not a lot of concrete things to go yeah. off of right now. Yeah, yeah. And just for clarification, who's the other student member of the search committee? So it's Andrene Jones. She's also a student of the class of 2023. Awesome. Well, thank you for sitting down with me, Ethan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Special thanks to the team at The Student, including Lynn Lee, Ethan Samuels, Sophia Rodrigo, Tana Delalio, and Ethan Foster. Thank you also to our audio editor, Nicole Richards. Once again, I'm Sam, and I'll see you next week on The Student Sums It Up.